This is Bach to Bach, the podcast opening up the world of classical music, one beer at a time. And today's episode has a little something for everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of Bach to Bach. I am Matty Oates. I'm finishing a sip, and I'm Kevin Oates. And um, this is um, this is a fun one this week. This is kind of the, the everyman's episode. It does have something for everyone. We were we. I feel like this has been on our our plate for a long time, wanting to just bring this up. It's a beer everyone's had. Yeah, and actually, it's really funny. Oh gosh, I think I don't know what episode it was with Devin Mock from the Ballroom Thieves way back. It was a, a episode about America, and we we gave him Budweiser, and he was so infuriated because he was expecting a really good craft beer. And we gave him Bud Heavy. So hey, it's still a, good at the right time. It's, it's the, the right, right beer. Today is 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 a, a piece nearly everyone's heard already, and a beer oh, yeah. that almost everyone has surely had at some point in their life. So. Kev, why don't you tell them what's uh, what they have in store today? So this is a this is a piece of music that I think I gotta say that like eighty to ninety percent of America has or the world has listened to. Um, it's an American piece uh, by an American composer named uh, Aaron Copland, who, who we featured before. Who we featured before. We, we've talked about Billy the Kid, um, John Henry. We've talked about um, if you heard Rodeo, which was used to be the beef. It's what's for dinner background music for that commercial in the nineties. Yeah, that's, that's the classic. Um, that's the classic one. That everybody knows, but Aaron Copeland, uh, just kind of quick, quick facts. He's known as the, the Dean of American music. Uh, he was born I in didn't 19- know that. the, um, born 1900 died in 1990. Um, so clean 90th birthday death. Um, you with your round five and multiples of he 10. He did a good job of that. That's, that's right. Up there. Um, but really he wrote, he kind of pioneered what is the American music sound and, and it just, he's been a staple of what, um, our, uh, music from this country has really grown into it. John Williams has been very much influenced by him and a lot of film composers have since. Took a, took a lot of folk tales, classic American, uh, like Americana as it were. Oh, hundred percent. put, and. Just took well, that, he, he t- it took these stories and, and these folklore and, and made them into musical um, staples. And so today's piece is Fanfare for the Common Man, which is a standalone work uh, from 1942. So we're looking at smack dab in the middle of World War II. Um, and it was inspired by uh, a quote from uh, Vice President Henry Wallace at the time. Uh, I proclaimed that it was the dawning of the century of the common man. Um, and... And so then, yeah, it was later in later that year premiered by the Cincinnati Symphony. Um, and what's there's a, I mean, there's a lot of like kind of like almost sunrise, uh, strong American feel to the just the opening, the first three notes. Like you hear it and you know exactly what this piece is. There's just nothing else. It's just, just kind of like like the like the Pierre Gin suite where we've always associated it with uh, mornings, uh, like sunrise in the morning. Oh, the same, same yeah. things here. It's, it's yeah, and it just piece. has this this dawning feeling to it to this, this opening, and it just gets stronger and stronger. You've also seen it associated with space, um, and there's some cool facts I'll talk about in a second about how it's been used uh, with several of the space missions, um, but the it just 
it literally it just sounds American. It's like it's almost as patriotic as like our national anthem. Would on you its say own. it's the it's the brass or is there a particular piece? It's, of no, it it's that? it's the brass uh, line. It's really that really grounds it. The, the whole brass section in this, but it's the brass with the bass drum and the timpani. Mm. Um, the timpani and bass drum just create like this booming sense of like grounds it, and mm. it just really just. Um, I don't know. It just, it just, it, you get excited. It moves you. It moves you a hundred percent. Yeah. So this piece has been used so many times in television and film. And I kind of want to give you some quick little stories of, of where it's been used. Um, kind of going most, well, not most recently, but, um, uh, in December 31st, 2001, um, it was performed in times square as a, as the memorial of the victims of nine 11. Um, and, it just was like it kind of like the perfect epitome of what America is, and it was a great way to um, pay homage to those who who lost their lives. Then, hmm. so then I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. Uh, 2009, it was used uh, at the Obama inaugural celebration at the Lincoln Memorial, but I want to back up to 1988, where Steve Jobs played this. Uh, or featured this piece uh, at the University of Washington Computer Fair, uh, where he was demoing the next computer, and basically, was the this piece was the was the example of how this computer could um, could play different types of media, and it was the this was the music example for that. Nice, good choice. Um, but also, in the last one, which is kind of tying back in the space element, was in 2012. This was played when uh, Space Shuttle Endeavor touched back down at the Los Angeles International Airport. Um, so it's there's there's a and this was used a lot more times as far as space missions, as warm up music, as launch music, as wake up music for for the astronauts while in space, which I think is the most incredible way to wake up while you're in outer space staring at Earth. I feel um, like if I need to swap my alarm to this because if I woke up to this every day, I would have a much better outlook on on the day ahead. Or Apple, you just add it to your alarm settings, there and we there we go. But this is just uh, a perfect piece if you want to replay this episode at like 6 a.m. and or on your drive <laughs> to work and just feel inspired to start the rest of the day. Oh, yeah. I encourage you to do so. Um, or otherwise, just play it and just truly enjoy this incredible work by Aaron Copeland, Fanfare for the Common Man. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of America's most popular beers. Not best, but most popular. <laughs>
feel like go to climb a mountain. Like a really flat mountain. No, a big one with okay. faces of the presidents on it. Be amazing. It's never been or built. Or visit the Grand Canyon. Or do I mean just or visit old uh, old faithful in Yellowstone. Actually, I want to go back to both those things. Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec when he visits the Grand Canyon with April, and then he says, "Where's the mountain with all the faces on it?" <laughs> Best quote. Anyway. They couldn't just have ended that episode on a serious, sentimental note. Of course they had not. To, had to throw a joke in there. But it really, it really is just such an inspiring piece. And I, I really just like, you just like, okay, let's go do something with your day. Not that Francis Scott Key didn't make a fantastic poem at, at, uh, uh, in the harbor of Baltimore, but how is this not our national anthem? Seriously. It's been done enough. It might as well be. Oh, so good. So good. So national things... Require national beers. They do. This one's, oh, this is just. America. It's the. Well, it's not Budweiser America, but it's. Well, we've America. already done that one, but this is, uh, well, the third largest brewery in the. Uh, sorry, the third most consumed beer in the U.S., the largest single brewing operation in one spot in the world. Oh. And we are, of course, talking about the one, the only Silver Bullet, Coors Brewing. Let me paint a picture for you, Kev. The year is 1873. Do you remember it? Yeah, I think I was like 19. Yeah, yeah, that was a good year. I age well. It's 1873, and on a boat from Prussia, Prussia, of course, now being um, Germany, we have the young uh, Adolf Kors, back when people were still named Adolf. That has kind of gone by the That's wayside. It's such a name. name that people refuse to call their kids anymore. I wonder why. And uh, so uh, Mr. Kors and Jacob Schuler are coming from Prussia, and they arrive in the U.S., and of course they beeline it for Golden, Colorado. They actually land in Baltimore first, one of my favorite cities of all time. Yep, yep, yep. And they beeline it for Golden, Colorado, uh, and they start a brewery after buying a recipe for a Pilsner Style beer. So wait, so eighteen seventy three, Baltimore, Maryland, and to, then out to, to Boulder, Golden, Colorado, to Golden, Colorado, Golden, Colorado. Now, and we've gone over Pilsners before, right? Uh, yeah, Germans. Actually, that was one of that was one of my favorite episodes. We're talking about the spike glass, yeah, and yeah. the notches in, the, yeah. So that's so they 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 bought a recipe for a Pilsner style beer. They've gone out to Colorado. They start this brewery. So by eighteen eighty. Uh, Adolf buys out the, uh, the, his partner's share, Jacob Schuler. He's the sole owner of the company. They're making 3,500 barrels a year. And um, then 10 years later, they're making 17,000 barrels annually. And the company is on solid financial ground. So Jeez. then 1885, Coors launches its first recycling effort. So we're talking 45 cents for a dozen empty quart bottles. By 1893... They're winning prizes at the Chicago World's Fair, one of only 19 American breweries to even win an award, and the only one west of the Missouri River. So okay. they, so this, they were uh, received the award based on brilliancy, flavor, chemical analysis, and commercial flavor. Now, th- now check this beer. It was for their extra golden stout porter, which I'm wrapping my head around. I'm trying yeah, to figure like out. That's a lot of different things that. I'd love to know if that recipe is kicking around anywhere and if they ever thought about just doing a limited batch uh, rerun An of that. Extra golden stout porter. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. so then, and then we go on a few years. We get around to the to the teens, into the, the mid-19-teens, uh, and suddenly start people start talking about the temperance movement. People are sick of alcohol. 
So suddenly we start hearing about the idea of prohibition. Now, Coors Brewing is one of the very few, like a handful of American breweries that survived prohibition. And what they had done, they had started to diversify. They were, they were a manufacturing company as well. They bought up a, uh, a porcelain company and started producing everything from teapots to plates, you name it. One of the things that helped see them through prohibition. And now, again, prohibition, we'll be talking more about this next week. We are, as the day this episode comes out, we are 10 days shy of the 100-year anniversary of prohibition. Of prohibition. January 17th, 1920 is when it went into effect. And we're gonna actually going to be bringing this up again next week as we talk about some uh, some really great uh, non-alcoholic beers as kind of a nod to that 100-year yeah. anniversary of prohibition. But Coors diversified, and uh, not only did, were they doing porcelain, but by the time Prohibition came along, they also had been transformed into a malted milk factory and what we what we would call near beer. So non-alcoholic or very close to non-alcoholic gotcha. beer yep. that they could produce. Uh, and another side fact, the malted milk that they made, most of it was sold to the Mars Candy Company for uh, production of their sweets. Which does Hershey, M&M's, all that. So, so all these little links here, but that financial footing that diversification helped them get through to the other side of prohibition which was in 19 december 1933 like wow. that was a, yeah just, uh, so 13 years where advil and coca-cola sales plummeted and doritos just had you know no one was buying so i don't actually know that uh, no one no one knew the redeeming powers of coca-cola at, at 7 a.m like no one then. knew doritos back then but <laughs> That's actually no, crazy. That that the the last three things I said were not facts. Don't actually quote me on that. Everything else before that was a fact. But yeah, can you imagine thirteen years of no hangovers? Of course, I mean, that wasn't a thing. Prohibition didn't actually didn't work. <laughs> and hey, thank you to speakeasies. So hey, yeah, yeah. The, some of the numbers on the number, uh, some of the numbers on total amount of speakeasies in in Manhattan alone are out of this world. Although. Uh, there is no, uh, the data does support the fact that cirrhosis rates went down, all this other stuff. Um, all right. So otherwise course has come through, uh, constantly being an innovator. You got to give them credit. They did try to make a, uh, a no litter can up and for a very long time. If you look at old, uh, cans, they had the pull tab oh, tops, the not, not the pop tops, but like no, but the pull, pull, tab. pull yeah. the whole top off. Right. And so they tried, they pioneered a push in tab, uh, but it didn't go over well and they had to disband it. They, uh, originally had that golden, uh, golden, uh, labeling on the outside. But at the end of the day, they were the first ones to use the aluminum can. Gotcha. Which we all Which use we all today. Use now. Coors was the pioneer here, and that's actually where the phrase "silver bullet" comes from, uh, from the from the silver on the can. Gotcha. So, okay. So they were the ones pioneering that, and yes, we, yeah, we we can make fun of them. We all drank it, and you know, growing up, and played it beer pong with it, and whatever. But Coors, for the longest time, was was pioneering all these things. Now today, we're we're I say we're, but I'm drinking Coors Banquet. If you haven't had it, that's closest to the original as it can get. I think I, th- I think everyone. I love their. Sees I love the 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 authentic look to the Coors Banquet yeah. bottle, um, and so just like keeping it as, um, as classic as you can, because Coors Light does not look anything, but it's classic for its own sake, but not as far as time tested. And it's 
it it is a solid pilsner and we it's funny you talk about budweiser you talk about Coors. people people crap on them they do have one of the best quality control i was just gonna say that yeah like when you imagine mass producing this at the amount that they are putting out and having every batch be identical now i i won't say that i have I would like to say that I have sampled a decent amount of cores in my lifetime. And I could second that. And you, from the point of view of, of a brewer, you got to give them credit that they take consistency, just like Budweiser, to a new level. And you talk to those guys at the brewery, they have a lot of pride in the product that they make. Is it a massive commercialized process? Yes. But they are turning out a predictable product, which as we all know with beer is not always easy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hard process. It's a, it's an unstable thing and it's always evolving and they manage to turn out something that at least you can, you can count on can after can. And then so, the shotgun bottle after bottle. You know? <laughs> so your first beer was a, my was first a beer was shotgun a, was a, Coors Light. Shotgun Coors Light. Like the classy guy you are. Look at me now. I know. You've come so far. Can't even drink it anymore. Not by choice. But hey. That's just heartbreaking. Oh, the memories. You know, 1991. 1991 was actually the first time Coors was available in all 50 states. Really? Yeah. Took a little while. That's good. That's that's 118 years. (laughs) Now, then 2005, they merged with Molson to create Molson Coors Brewing Company. So that's the, the world's fifth largest brewery. Led by Coors Light, Coors Banquet, and then, of course, Molson Canadian. Right. But then uh, 2011, Coors Light surpasses Budweiser as the nation's second largest beer by volume. So there's just some stats for you, folks. Just some little bit of information to make you appreciate. Some macro stats. But again, it all goes back to 1873, where there's this beer that bought on a dream and has just steadily survived the entire way through. It's the beer that everyone can drink. I would say, yeah, I'd say go put on, uh, go put on Copeland again, crack a Coors. Or four in the same amount of time. You could <laughs> do, right? I mean, you could do it. You could, it, yeah. it goes down the um, water. I'm still, I'm still enamored by the extra golden stout porter. Okay, we need to do, you and and I need to do a little bit of research outside the episode to see if we can find a recipe, because I'd love to see, or if they've ever brought it back, just for a limited run. We'll find out. I just, yeah, I'm fascinated. Absolutely fascinated. So, although you may not necessarily have an appreciation for the the Coors Light or the Coors Banquet nowadays, hopefully with those facts, maybe you just have a little bit more info to work with the next time you're at the pub trivia or just want to drop a little bit of information. It is a it's a fascinating company to look at, and we're enjoying this beer. I'm enjoying this beer. You are right. Uh, but next week, so we're actually really excited. Next week's episode will be about prohibition. Yeah, um, and we're focusing on uh, actually we're talking about that time while we're also talking about a great uh, American made. Uh, non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing Company. And we're actually going to go to the other extreme with it and also focus on uh, the crazy pieces of music that were written while composers were drunk. Uh, (laughs) And so kind of do the extremes of it all at once. Because why not? Um, Basically everything Keith Richards has ever written. Yes. Uh, But also some updates. I want to... We usually, at the end of our episodes, we always have our outro where we say we're available on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, but now our podcast is available on Amazon Alexa. So that is... You can now ask Alexa to play Bach to Bach, and I don't know if she'll listen too well because it's a hard one to figure out with spelling, but you can ask her. We're going to try it tomorrow morning. 
And a really cool hack I discovered was you can ask Siri to subscribe to the Bok to Bok podcast uh, from your iPhone, and she will do it because she's a lovely lady. Thank you, Siri. Hey, way to go, Apple. Good for them. So until next week, we hope you uh, have a great week ahead. Hope you try this music and this beer. And until then, this has been another episode of Bok to Bok. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Be sure to follow Bok to Bok on Spotify to get notified of the latest episodes. And keep the conversation going on Instagram with us and follow us on all social media platforms at Bok to Bok. That's B-A-C-H-T-O-B-O-C-K. Cheers and keep listening.